Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Dwell this morning. Um, As you can see, I am not your beloved Josh Cook this morning. Um, He is probably out doing something very important. I'm not even sure what he's doing. Um, But you are stuck with me. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt, one of the members here at Dwell. Um, And I'm going to do my best today to just hide behind this text that Aaron just read. Um, It's a good one, for sure. Um, But yeah, I just want to hide behind the text. I want to be true as much as I can to what Jesus is saying here. Uh, And like we sang in worship earlier, we just want to lift Jesus high, like within our hearts and within our minds. So um, if you want to join me in prayer, I'm just going to pray uh, for help. Father, you are so good. Um, We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. And we just ask for your help, Lord, that you would um, help us to hear from you, Lord, that you would help us to listen well, um, Lord, that you would soften our hearts um, to accept your word this morning. pray these things in your name. Amen. So I have a buddy who was visiting Denver um, this last summer, and so we did some of the classic Colorado things, like we did a little bit of hiking, hit some coffee shops, a little bit of sauna. I don't know if that's Colorado-esque, but uh, we went to Red Rocks. And then, of course, if anyone knows me well, like, we did some climbing, right? So I took him to the climbing gym, and the guy was just immediately hooked. He could not get enough of it. And so this is the first time uh, he's ever climbing, and he is just, like, shocked. He's a strong guy, I will say that. So he is shocked and almost a little bit sorrowful at how bad he is compared to, like, myself and my roommates. And so he is going up to these, like, more difficult, a little more advanced climbs, and he's just given his best shot. And these are climbs no beginner has any business being on, right? They are difficult. And so he's trying them over and over and over again, and he is literally falling off just like a sack of potatoes. It's, like, painful to watch, but it's also a little bit funny. Mostly painful. And he even says this. He says, man, I'm so good at climbing, except for my forearm strength is horrible. And we're like, well, that's pretty much what it comes down to, man, forearm strength. And that takes a lot of work and also a ton of time to develop. But he still kept trying the more advanced climbs, just hoping, wishing, dreaming that he would just get lucky enough to pull it off. See, my friend, he wanted to be able to accomplish this hard thing without putting in any of the work and putting in the time that it took. Today, we're, we're actually talking about a guy that Jesus crosses paths with who is faced with a similar issue my climbing buddy was. There's this problem in front of him, and he's looking for this quick and easy solution. So as we look at this text and conversation between uh, the rich young ruler, Jesus, and the disciples... This is what we'll see. We'll see that our hearts are prone to comfort, ease, and selfishness, but still the heart of God is generous toward us. So at the beginning of this passage, we immediately find out what this rich young ruler is after. Starting in verse 16 here. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? 
And so we see at the minimum, he's at least seeking eternal life. And so he asks, what good deed must I do? So already this rich young ruler is leaning towards this works-based salvation. I mean, he's ready to just good deed his way into the kingdom. But in verse 17, Jesus says, well, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So he's kind of immediately shot down here. Jesus is saying, your good deeds are no good here. Not good enough. Then Jesus hits him with this line, there's only one who is good. So Jesus is hitting on this doctrine of total depravity. That sounds fun, right? Total depravity, which is the idea that our human nature has been corrupted by sin, even to the point where we are incapable of producing any sort of like spiritual action apart from the grace of God. I mean, think about this with me. Do you guys ever notice how we as humans do a great job of kind of removing ourselves from being like a bad guy in a story? Or we just do a good job of downplaying our own situations compared to others? What I mean by this is, is we'll hear about like someone in the news or a story um, from a friend about another friend or we'll read about something or someone in the Bible. And in all these scenarios, someone will be in a situation where they are not in good shape, right? They're just bad. Think like a CEO caught embezzling money, uh, maybe a friend of a friend whose uh, husband leaves their family due to a drinking problem, uh, or even in the Bible, we see David, uh, a man after God's own heart, who uh, sleeps with another man's wife and then also has that, man's wi- or has that man killed. And so we can hear about these things, and our brains will typically shed a dark light on others, and then we'll shed this bright light on ourselves. So we are kind of bent toward thinking of our own selves, and we think, man, I'm better than that. But when we hear the words of Jesus, like, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. It forces me to say, like, I don't actually think we're that different from the embezzling CEO or the drunk father who leaves his family, or David the adultering murderer, or even the rich young ruler. And so if we have this idea in our heads that we are good, or we're pretty good, or at least we're, we're better than them, or we're better than our neighbor, whatever it might be, like if we have these thoughts, we might need to perk up and actually hear Jesus for what he's truly saying. Now, I'm not saying we are constantly like heinous, horrible people, I'm just saying we're not good enough. Paul even says it in Romans 3.23. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so when the rich young ruler essentially asks, How do I get salvation by being good? Jesus says, You don't. He says, You can't earn this salvation. You could never be good enough. There's only one who is good enough. And so with that, we can't escape the fact that we are not good. Jesus isn't aimlessly saying these words. Everything he says has purpose. So he's reminding us here of the too easily forgotten fact about us as humans. That we are not good, but we are rebellious sinners who need to be reconciled to the one good God. Now it's interesting here to understand that the rich young ruler, in asking this question to Jesus and seeing his follow-up responses uh, to Jesus as well, The rich young ruler is admitting his inadequacy. 
He's admitting this feeling inside of him that there is, there's just something missing here. Like, there's something off. Let's look starting in verse 17. Jesus says, If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? So this guy is saying, hey, I'm six out of six, Jesus. Now what? This man claims he's followed these religious rules and these commands, but he's still not satisfied for some reason. He feels like there's more to the kingdom of God than simply following a list of like legalistic commands. He feels this deep sense of inadequacy, and that's why he's asking Jesus, what must I do? Now, does that resonate with you at all? Do you ever feel like this same sense of inadequacy or emptiness, or maybe like you don't measure up, like you're not good enough? I'm here to tell you that's okay, because this actually may be the grace of God working in you, because we are not good enough to enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus continues on in conversation with this guy and digs deeper into him because he knows his heart. He also knows the heart of the disciples sitting there listening to this conversation. So in response to the man's question, what do I still lack? Jesus responds with these words in verse 21. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, you might hear this and think, whoa, Jesus just dropped the P-bomb on him. Perfect. Jesus is saying, if you would be perfect, or another way to think about this, he's saying, if you would be perfectly complete, like, that's what you have to be to enter the kingdom of God. And to do that, just do what I tell you. And this rich young ruler was willing to do certain things and follow certain commands, but only up to a point. But when the specific command Jesus gives him collides with what his heart truly wants, the rich young ruler is out. Like it seems like he wants a comfortable and easy path to the kingdom of God, right? He doesn't want to put in the work. Similar to how my buddy just wanted to be able to climb these difficult routes without having to put in the work over time. The rich young ruler wants these kingdom forearms, right? Without having to give anything up. I want kingdom forest. <laughs> Obviously, we see that this guy denies the call to follow Jesus in this moment. And instead, he goes away sorrowful because he has great possessions. Now, your initial thought may be, I guess the guy doesn't think it's fair that he would have to give up his numerous possessions. Like, that's too much comfort to sacrifice. That's too much work. I think that's true. But even more so, he's probably sorrowful because the idea back in this setting this time, was that people with wealth, possessions, riches, like they were thought to have gained these possessions and wealth because they had been given favor by God. Which would mean that what Jesus is saying is in direct opposition to what the people of the time thought. So the people thought like, yo, I am rich in material possessions, therefore I'm in God's good favor, like I'm doing things right. But Jesus says, actually, those possessions you have, like, that's actually grace from God. That's a good gift from God. But I'm here to tell you that I, Jesus, 
am actually the better gift. Following me is, is going to be much better because I can satisfy like wealth can't, and I can actually even take away that inadequacy that you feel and that emptiness that you feel. But as you can see in the text, like there is a battle for what, what or who will be top dog in this man's heart. Right? There's like sort of this hierarchy in his heart. And unfortunately, it's revealed that God does not end up taking the number one spot. But more likely, it looks like his possessions or something along those lines do. This guy is offered something as good as treasures in heaven and eternal life with God. And instead of taking that, he just goes away sorrowful. Now, this hierarchy battle in the heart is happening in all of us all the time, right? Whether it's money or power or sex, status, comfort, ease, it could be all sorts of things, like it's happening. And luckily, Jesus gives us a solution, and it's, it's honestly not that complex. It's pretty simple. He says, choose me. That's Jesus saying that, not me. He says, Jesus says, choose me. Now, I'm definitely not saying this is easy because it's not. Like, it takes conscious action, and we have to choose to do that daily. Author D.A. Carson, I think, said it well when he said, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. And that's just a good reminder that we must keep moving toward Jesus. Like, we have to put in some effort, even if that means just baby steps. So while it's not easy, it is simple. Move toward Jesus. Like, choose him daily. And here's kind of the insane thing with that, I think. Even if we forget to choose Jesus today or tomorrow, like, he never forgets us. He comes again and again and again after us. That's encouraging, right? For me, it is at least, because Jesus could have so easily called this guy out and given up on him, like blatantly saying, hey, man, your heart is so far from me. Like, there's no way you make it into the kingdom like that. And I know you're just going to walk away from me, so I'm not going to waste my time with you. And here's the thing. He could say the same thing probably to all of us. I know he can say the same thing to me. Like, Matt, oftentimes your heart is so entrenched the things of this world, man, I'm just going to leave you to it. I'm going to let you slowly fade off into a life where you are just ruled by money. But the heart of God is just too good, man. It's too kind to where he won't let us, he won't leave us to our own devices. Even amidst the continual battle against our flesh and our sins and the, the hierarchy in our hearts, God shows grace to us. And I'm about to prove it to you. Check it out. Continuing in the text. Starting at verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So we see the character of God right here. His kindness, his grace, 
is compassion, is mercy. Right here in this passage. Because Jesus says, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he uses hyperbole to emphasize this, right? Uh, he says, uh, he, 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 he says uh, to emphasize this point by saying, a camel, the largest animal in the ancient Near East, is more likely to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. So it's like Jesus tur- just turned into Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, right? He's like, how much do you want to bet I can throw a football over the mountains? Like, we would all take that bet. But we could say it's more likely that Uncle Rico, a fictional character, I might add, just in case you're not sure, is more likely to throw a football over some mountains than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Like, we could say that. It's probably the same likelihood that he would do that as a camel going through the eye of a needle. And so at this point, you should be saying, okay, well, how is that kind and gracious? Because Jesus is saying there is no chance anyone with riches and possessions enters the kingdom. And you're correct. He says that. And you're also in good company if you're saying this, because the disciples say the same thing in verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? So they too thought that great wealth in doing good deeds signified favor with God. They too are trying to kind of connect the dots and make sense of these rules of kingdom economics that are brand new to them as well. But we gain a glimpse into the heart of God right here in verse 26 when Jesus looked at them and he says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He's saying you all cannot will not be able to do this, to enter the kingdom of heaven on your own volition. Not a snowball's chance in Florida that you can make it happen. But if you choose to follow me, this can and this will actually be possible because God is a loving God. And he is sending me, Jesus, the one right in front of you, to accomplish the impossible on your behalf. Like, you got to imagine Jesus, Jesus is like, do you hear the words coming out of my mouth right now? Like, I, the perfect son of God, am going to accomplish the impossible for you. I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice that will make you adequate and reconcile you back to God and into the kingdom. I'm doing all of this, all of it, not because you deserve it or because you're worthy. I'm doing this out of love for you. For the rich young ruler, uh, following Jesus meant selling all his possessions. That was kind of the first step Jesus called him to. But what does it look like for you? So applications from the rich young ruler. Be rich, right? Come on. Own a few houses, build some wealth. Let's go. No, that's obviously not it. I really only say that because last week I was telling one of our worship leaders that I was preaching on the rich young ruler this week. And she was like, oh my gosh, you are the rich young ruler. And I did, yeah, I know, right? I did the whole Macaulay Culkin, like, you might be right. (laughs) Maybe not fully right, but a little bit. 
But if you are already a follower of Jesus, this is directed at you. Even as Christians, we bend toward being like the rich young ruler when we're selfish and we're bound by our possessions. And if we're being brutally honest, like this probably is the case more than we'd like to admit. So what must I do, you ask? Before we answer this question, I think it's also worth pointing out that Jesus doesn't command this exact action to everyone to go sell all that you possess and give to the poor. This is specific to the rich young ruler. I mean, look at Luke 19, 8, verses 9. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus commended this move by Zacchaeus. So this doesn't mean, A, you have to sell all you have and give to the poor, or B, you have to give half your goods to the poor like Zacchaeus, but it also doesn't mean, C, that you're off the hook and you can justify to yourself that Jesus hasn't commanded anything specific to you directly, so you're good. You're good to go. Jesus gives us his word, and we are to follow that to the best of our ability, but he also gives us his Holy Spirit in the church. I can even throw it back to Wade's sermon a few weeks ago on accountability where we're reminded that we as Christians have been called to a higher standard, and so we actually are able to hold each other to a higher standard as well. Because Jesus knows we're prone to wander. He knows we're a fickle man distracted by what's in our hand. He knows we so often take something that's good like money and distort it turning it into an idol that controls us, causes us to worship it. So even though this specific command to sell all that you have and give to the poor isn't necessarily directly for us, could be, but not necessarily, Jesus is still calling us to something better. So what must I do? I don't know, this, this may just be a good question for you to ponder as you reflect on this text today. What must I do? What is Jesus calling you to right here, right now? Maybe you feel like you've drifted toward being in the same boat as the rich young ruler, and, and, this, Jesus, and this is Jesus nudging you that, hey, you might need to restructure the hierarchy system in your heart. You might need to reorient it back to him being top priority. What must I do? Now, for this next one, none of y'all Christians are off the hook, okay? So listen up. Because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, accomplishing the impossible for us, we are to use all of our possessions, not just some of them, for kingdom priorities. Now, I, I, you might, your initial thought might be like, okay, this seems a little bit too pie in the sky. This is like... Matt, you're being a little bit too radical here. But let me see if I can help us believe that we should actually do this. So this here is from verse 22. When the young man heard what Jesus said, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Okay, why is the young man sad? We might say, well, because he has great wealth. He has all these sweet things, and now he has to wrestle with whether or not it's worth giving up his things. That's not what I would say. His problem isn't that he has great possessions. His problem is that he has bad theology. 
his worldview is skewed. He views the world through this lens that tells him he is the one who earns God's favor and therefore earned these possessions. He thinks he should be entitled to his things because they are, after all, in his possession. Well, now here's good and right theology. All that we have is a gift from God. Look at what old Haggai in the Old Testament has to say about this. Haggai 2.8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Well, how about what old Job has to say on the matter? Job 1.21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The riches of this world are God's. We enter this world with nothing. We leave this world with nothing. All we have is a gift from God. And this theology, this equals freedom. Like if we live this, out, this theology out daily, that every single thing we have is from God, then mark my words on this, we would be so much freer. Like free from certain things, and free to be certain things. Like free to be exceedingly kind and generous with what we have. Free to even say like, mi casa su casa, right? Like what's yours is mine, or what's mine is yours. Sorry. <laughs> what's mine is yours. But say that, we, we'll be free to say that and actually mean it. Free from consumerism. Free from jealousy. Free from needing or wanting the next best thing, needing more and more and more to feel like we, we need to be satisfied in that way. And so again, this encouragement to all of us is to use all of our possessions, not just some of them, for kingdom priorities. And this isn't some sort of like guilt trip or shaming act just to try and get us to be better. It's actually a call to find joy in Christ and Christ alone. It's a call to worship the creator instead of the created things. If you are not a follower of Jesus, this is for you. You cannot earn your salvation. There is zero way for you to gain salvation through being good. You need to know you cannot earn your way into the kingdom of God. But that Jesus is the only one who brings us into life with him now and forever if we simply choose to follow him. Acts 16 shows us uh, that what I just said is actually true. It's the account of Paul and Silas. These are two sharers of the good news of Jesus when the church was just getting off the ground. But long story short, these guys uh, get beaten with rods and thrown into prison for sharing the gospel. And while they're shackled up in prison, they're, they're still like singing hymns and praying to God. And by the power of God, prison doors are opened and everyone's shackles are released. So we'll pick up in Acts 16.27 because it gets so good. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped but Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in. 
Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. What must you do? Simply believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, if this seems too good to be true, I just want to remind you of the heart of this passage today. The heart of God gives generously. So that means that no matter who you are or what you've done, God offers you life in the kingdom through Jesus today. So what is impossible with man is possible with God. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.